Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you. Uh, we are less than three months uh, from the opening ceremonies of the 2022 Winter Olympics, which, of course, will take place in Beijing. In fact, there were only two candidate cities for the 2022 Winter Olympics. It was Beijing prevailing over Almaty, Kazakhstan. And I suppose maybe there's there's something significant in that in terms of having two authoritarian countries both vying to host these Olympics. They're supposed to be about sport. They're supposed to be about the athletes. But in a lot of ways, it's about much more geopolitics and the propaganda value that comes from hosting this event. I mean, we obviously saw that in 2008 when China hosted the 2008 Winter Olympics. I think a lot of the concerns that existed then are much more magnified in terms of human rights violations in China, uh, China's aggression. Doesn't appear as though there's going to be any kind of significant uh, boycott movement, certainly moving the games at this point. I think we're well past that point. But I think there are, there are some lessons we can learn here. And in fact, you know, we can go all the way back to 1936 and look at how the Nazi regime in Germany really exploited the 1936 Olympics uh, in Berlin. Uh, someone who has uh, studied all of this uh, rather closely uh, wrote an interesting piece recently. It's up at theconversation.com. Is uh, Michael Sokola. He's a, uh, an associate professor of communication and journalism at the University of Maine. Professor Sokola, thanks so much for joining us here today. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Rob. Obviously, it's not exclusively authoritarian regimes that, that host or seek to host uh, Olympic Games. I mean, Tokyo obviously just hosted the, the 2020 uh, Summer Olympics, although that was certainly costly and, and problematic. But what is it about these games to uh, regimes such as, as the one in China that is so appealing? Well, it, it gives you a publicity value that can't be purchased in any other way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get these beautiful vistas, you get happy, smiling athletes, you get, you know, the national competition. It's like a big postcard or a tourism advertisement. And, um, and you know, its adjacent value is that it sells the regime to the rest of the world in a way that you couldn't uh, otherwise through journalism. And we've known this for a long time. And you've written, as mentioned extensively, about uh, the 1936 Olympics in Berlin and the propaganda value that came from it. I mean, the, the Nazis really perfected this, didn't they? They did. And that's because they were the first to do the live global broadcast. Uh, it was radio. It wasn't television at the time. And uh, they, they spent a fortune on the technology. And then they really charmed and wowed all the announcers from around the world who came to Berlin. And the combination, it, it worked really well. Um, you know, later on, after World War II and after everything happened, everybody um, raised the profile of Jesse Owens against Adolf Hitler, and that kind of redeemed the games. That was, right. It was strategically used. But, um, you know, at the time, it was, it was probably one of the Nazi regime's um, most effective international campaigns. Well, and, and I mean, hosting the Olympics, it doesn't make all of these other issues go away. And, and uh, certainly we shouldn't, shouldn't overlook what's happening in China, what's happening in Hong Kong, or what's happening to, to, the, to the Uyghur minority. It doesn't make all of these issues go away. But you know, from, from China's perspective, how does it deflect from this? Or how does it, it put things in a different light? Well, there's a, there's a couple issues with that. The first and most important one is, uh, I don't know if it was reported in Canada recently, but in the United States, the U.S. government just um, issued a warning because there's a new sort of media censorship crackdown happening immediately. We're within 100 days of the games, and Yahoo, for instance, just pulled out of China because of this new crackdown. And so the U.S. government had to announce 
that, um, you know, had to issue kind of a, I don't know what you'd call it, not a warning, but just sort of a, a, a news release about how media freedom is so important with the Olympics coming up. So it's clear that the Chinese government is worried that reports, reporters will talk about Hong Kong or the Uyghurs and, and they'll expel them. You know, it's a, it's kind of a tense question right there. But, but I think, you know, it, it, this is really about getting the best possible press they can into the world because, as you know, recently it's more than just Hong Kong. It's more than, you know, there's border clashes with India. There's the Taiwan threat. There's the South. There's the tensions with Australia. There's tensions with Canada, yeah, with yeah. the Huawei thing. Like, um, it, there really are, this really is a really important moment for them. In fact, some analysts actually think that what's restraining China right now, the only thing that's really restraining China is the Olympics. They do not want to boycott. They don't want to look bad. Well, and, and again, I mean, China hosted the Summer Olympics in 2008. And so there was a, a hope maybe that this would be part of that process that was kind of bringing China uh, into the, you know, the, the global community and that this would, would prove to be a moderating force. I think if we look back over the last 13 years, it's, it's hard to find a lot of evidence of that, is there? In fact, just the opposite happened. Right. And, and Sally Jenkins, the sports writer for the Washington Post, who's very well respected, she was a finalist for the Pulitzer last year, she wrote a, a you know, scalding column about how, you know, in 2008 we didn't know all this stuff. And it wasn't actually happening in the same way. But in the last 13 years, it's really incredible what China has done. I mean, you know, we haven't discussed uh, a transparent and open investigation into the origins of COVID. You know, there's right. or, or President Xi, President Xi changing the Constitution. There would have to be a new leader. If you went by the Constitution of China in 2008, there would have to be a new leader of China today in 2021. But they changed their Constitution to allow him to stay basically forever. So there's been really, I mean, I would call it radical changes. The takeover of Hong Kong and the abrogation of the Hong Kong Treaty is, is quite radical. Uh, in the last 13 years. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because obviously there have been Olympic boycotts in the past. I, to me, it seemed like there was, uh, you know, pretty sound reason uh, to, to see a boycott campaign this time around. Why do you think that ne that never materialized? I, I think, you know, it's an interesting question because this gets, also gets to what happened with Tokyo. I think we're living in an era with, with a, a specter that's so gigantic and overwhelming uh, meaning COVID, that um, basically everything else, it's very hard to get political movements mm -hmm. up and running elsewhere. You know, it's, it's just fascinating watching the world's probably, the world's most important activist political movement right now seems to be climate change, right, with COP in, in Scotland and everything. Even that is, doesn't seem to have the same kind of energy in a world where we're getting these COVID numbers every day and the, and the vaccine question and how do we resume the new normal? I think that's a huge part of it. And I think another huge part of it, and we have to be honest about this, is calling for a boycott, at least in the United States, I don't know if this is true in Canada, opens you up to accusations of racism and xenophobia. Um, and, uh, and so there's that, there's that addition. You know, this is a non-Western country hosting, a non-English or Anglo-sphere country hosting the Olympics, and we're treating them differently than we've treated others. Well, and then there's the IOC. I, I, I suppose one could argue that, look, it was either uh, China or Kazakhstan hosting these Winter Olympics, and maybe that tells us something else about what's become of the Olympics. But I, I don't know that the IOC necessarily cares about any of these human rights issues. I mean, they, they want somebody to step up, spend the money, and host the games. Is that is that kind of the bottom line from the IOC's perspective? 
Absolutely, that's the bottom line. And if you follow this uh, this terrific uh, journalistic website called Inside the Games on Twitter, um, they were just at the press conference with the IOC, and it's amazing how they sidestepped any discussion of this. Absolutely any. I mean, as you can imagine, they're extremely sensitive. There's so much money on the line. You know, one thing I think that's a little bit difficult for for most people to understand, they read it in the newspaper, and, and I say this, um, you know, it's sad, is the level of corruption within the IRC is astonishing. The amount of money, I mean, this is documented. If you look at the, and it's not, this isn't just authoritarian regimes. Look at how Salt Lake City um, obtained the games, the winter games. Uh, it, it's admitted that Salt Lake City paid these bribes, right. and that's why Mitt Romney had to come in and, and fix everything. So it's not a Western or Eastern thing. The IOC is so it, it, um, astonishingly corrupt. I mean, if it were a government, it would be, it would be rife with corruption. Well, we'll see how things play out. Uh, February 4th, I believe, is the uh, opening ceremonies uh, in Beijing. Uh, we uh, referenced your book. It's called Six Minutes in Berlin and uh, mentioned your piece as well up at uh, theconversation.com about all of this. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for joining us here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All the best. Uh, that is uh, Michael Sokola. He's an associate professor of communication and journalism at the University of Maine. And uh, as mentioned, author of the book Six Minutes in Berlin, uh, looking at uh, the 1936 Olympics. And now the Nazis exploited that for propaganda value. And, uh, you know, we see history repeat itself. We saw that in 2008. We're going to see it again in 2022. And, and in many ways, these issues are a lot worse than they were in 2008. So we didn't learn the lesson from, from 2008. Certainly the IOC didn't and had no intention of, I suspect, learning any sort of lesson. So we're less than three months away from the start of these games. And yeah, I know I get people are excited about, you know, the NHL players are going to be there. We're going to have this, uh, you know, fantastic hockey tournament. We have people excited about that. And uh, I, I don't know how normal these Olympics are going to be in terms of uh, having spectators there obviously china's uh, trying to clamp down very very hard on on any kind of um, covid situation that arises these days and that's certainly with uh, the 2022 winter olympics in mind but ultimately yeah i mean if the ioc wasn't going to say no i, I think the rest of us should have said no this isn't right china doesn't deserve to host these games for a litany of reasons many of which are our guest outline and it was almost like nobody wanted to, to be the first or nobody wanted to go their own on it. And, and nothing happened. We're just we're going along with that. And I mean, yes, the two Michaels have been freed. But still, I mean, the idea of sending, you know, vast numbers of Canadians to China when China has shown its willingness to treat Canadian citizens that way. Just it doesn't sit right. The whole thing doesn't sit right. But um, it's full steam ahead.